another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Chris. This is not the greatest song in the world, no. This is just a tribute. Couldn't remember the greatest song in the world, yeah. No, this is a tribute to the greatest song in the world. All right, the greatest song in the world. This is the greatest motherfucking song in the world. Oh, just a tribute. Oh. Yes, I used up our uh, I used up our one <laughs> right off the bat. You've been injected forward into uh, PG thirteen land. I take it. Hello, everyone, again, DM Dave, rock and roll DM. Welcome back. I say it every week. We have a very special episode. This is really actually a very special episode on the level of when Jesse Spano got hooked on speed in this very special Saved by the Bell episode. It is to that level that we are playing today because we are going off the greatest song in the world tribute for Tony, DM Tony's summer blockbuster, 12 players, two DMs, six dragons, Tiamat. Two birthday cakes and a whole hell of a lot of fun. So, actually, before I throw it off to the guys, I am also, we brought on, because after this, we're actually going to be going into our Lost Minds of Fandelver campaign, one of the culminating sessions. I don't know if this will be the finale or not. I don't think so, because I think Wave Echo Cave is pretty big. But so, since we were going to be on anyway, we brought on... DM Lenny, who had been on our uh, Just Do It episode, and a returning guest, the Monster Wrangler himself, Matt, uh, also coming in uh, as objective witnesses to the Summer Blockbuster. I have now rambled, so I'm going to let everybody else take it away here. I'm glad you guys all came. Appreciate it. The thing with setting this up was, I mean, it was between Chris's 50th birthday, and then Beth's birthday was in Curse of Strahd, and then Luke's birthday. So it all kind of came together, and I'm like, that's a lot of campaigns, and these people want a game. How, how are we going to do this? So I pitched this idea to Dave. I'm like, what if we took this, took them six and six, and we split eight different encounters? I wrote the module basically twice, handed it off to him. I took an equal amount, I took my own team, and then we created our own unique mini-boss battle at the end, and they everybody met at the finish. Obviously, thank you. It was uh, an awesome birthday party, and it was a, a really cool way to deal with... It started to get big. We, there was a lot of people there, and I'm thinking, man, Tony's going to have a tough time going around the table. So by having it go and have a co-DM, which we had talked before about doing that session-wise, where you take a couple sessions and then somebody else takes a couple sessions, but to actually split it at the table and have people go to both sides and actions happening at both sides, it had a little bit of a feel like, I feel like it would be like a convention playing a little bit too, is that we'd be playing and going through Tony's thing, but occasionally you'd kind of go over and there'd be things happening on the other side of the table there. And it had like a unique energy to it. No, absolutely. It was, uh, it was pretty intense. Tony and I, he had come to me about this idea of, Hey, would you want to run another table while it's happening? 
And I was very intrigued by that. I said, absolutely, why not? I think it'll actually speed the play up because you literally cannot run 12 players. We saw that at the end, which we'll get to the end boss fight and how that went. Um, But before we get too deep into this, Lenny and Matt, why don't you guys reintroduce yourselves to the audience and kind of just give a sense of um, of how you came into this game and what you were looking at. Sure. Hey, everybody. It's Lenny. Um, Yeah, it was on a previous episode. Uh, How did I get on this one? I don't know. Tony texted many moons ago and asked if if I wanted to join this game. And I up to this point have not gotten to play an in-person game. We've done everything through you know, the, uh, the roll 20 and whatnot. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a chance to actually play live. And about a week before the game, Tony suggested that I bring back a character that we were playing in uh, the further campaign. So I got to bust out my uh, half-orc warrior fighter guy. It was, it was a lot of fun. And you got Eagle Rider. Up to Eagle Eagle Rider. <laughs> you got to bump them up to 19th level too, which is a whole different different ex- experience entirely. Yeah, yeah. He's he's like 15 levels fighter and five levels barbarian, so he's just an all around ass kicker. Yeah, big time, big time. Hey guys, I'm uh I'm Matt Monster Wrangler Matt again. <laughs> And uh, thank you for having me back on. Yeah, playing at this high level of the amount of players and also 19th level is something that I've definitely never done in my dungeon, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, So that was an experience in and of itself. It was really, I want to say, fascinating to be able to level up uh, this character that really started actually back in a Pathfinder campaign. Yeah, which we talk about all the time when, like, the we got back into D&D. We, I had started that Pathfinder campaign that Chris and Matt and Bonnie were all playing in, and a friend of ours, Dave. And, yeah, you brought back, who was it? Yeah, Fongal Lachlan. Yeah. Um, Clan chief. Yeah, he's <laughs> a dwarf fighter and took on the champion role. And... Uh, he ended in Pathfinder probably somewhere around like fourth, fifth. No, you guys were around sixth, seventh, eighth level at seventh the end, eight. which wasn't super high at the time, but it felt like it back then. We didn't know. And then uh, he got actually bumped up to 18th level for uh, another one-off game that was really fantastic. That was for Tony's birthday game, I believe, that, that Chris ran. Yeah. Yeah, and so being able to bring him in a 19th level Dwarven fighter he becomes clan chief through that, and so he's got a little bit of some magical item. And he just, like Lenny really said, at that point, he's just an all-around kicker, and he can just run into everything. It was really, really uh, just fun to be able to play him and really work the character out. Fiongo <laughs> Lachlan, clan chief, kicker yeah. of asses. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then the way that... Uh, Lenny and then Dave ended up running it with the split. I had no idea that was going to go on. I really thought it was going to be just a giant game with all the challenges that would come of that. And like, how's, you know, or uh, how's uh, how's Tony going to do this? You know, uh, even with all his experience, like that's a that's a lot of players. Yeah. And I think we can thank Tony. We can thank Jen for that. Right. Because she said, why don't you just break them up? Right. That was a solid idea. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So so cool. 
with so that, cool. like this is, I, I want to delve into all these things, but there's so much to it. So I think we got to break this up into little, little bite-sized sections. So I think with Lenny specifically, um, Matt, you've experienced some of this. Lenny, like as you, as you said with your intro, you've only been doing Roll20, VTT stuff online, right? Which is super cool and fun and you can pull maps out. We have talked about that a ton because through COVID, obviously everybody was VTT and the pros and the cons. But as we talked about with our Dragonlance campaign, because Scott, our friend Scott uh, of Paper Terrain, uh, who was on our one of our return episodes, has been starting to build out larger and larger sections of terrain. You guys see them on our socials and the website and stuff. If you haven't, go check them out. But with this one, and Lenny, this was the first time you said it specifically that you got to like play on the play set because we started to play with the idea of terrain building. So not only did Scott build the final Tiamat layer, Tony built the entire white dragon encounter that he was running, who was one of the lieutenants of Tiamat. And I got to build out the black dragon encounter. So Bonnie and I started playing our hand at building out full on terrain using all the, the, the tips and tricks that Scott has shown us over this time. Uh, so let's kind of break that out. Let's kind of talk about just the builds, the play sets to begin with of what this looked like and how massive it was for, as Tony has aptly tanned it, the summer blockbuster. You know, this was Avengers Endgame. This was it. But I think to your point and what Lenny said, it's that live uh, thing. If you've never got the chance to experience it live and then experience it live with the type of scenery and props that we use when we uh, run a game like this, where you have the white dragon layer that is huge and it's all done. And obviously he popped a really hot mini on top. But the thing that I thought was so cool is that it's, just like with some of the stuff that Scott builds, it's not like he had to go out and find like this things. They would go out and find stuff. You could find stuff at dollar stores, at Michaels and things, and then put them together into a large scale scenery that literally transports you there, right? You can carve up some foam and stuff, and all of a sudden it's an ice flow, it's steps, it's something like that. It's something that your character, maybe they can't balance on there, right? Because the minis have a flat bottom. You try anyway, but it adds something to it. Like, what do you say, Lenny? I mean, was what was it like going from flat maps and all the detail there, but then to something like three-dimensional like that, where you have to wonder, like, well, do I, should I jump up here and seeing it in that kind of scale? Yeah, that white dragon layer, there was so many different levels of it. I mean, that was, that was the coolest thing to, like, move in, in 3D. Like, all right, we have to start, like... You know, everything in on the VTT, right? You're measuring like straight and you're not really taking into account, oh, this is going up 10 feet or down 10 feet or, you know, you're climbing a tree or you're climbing the, the side of a cliff. Like having that model in front of you, you're like, ooh, like that's especially like for combat, like you're way more tactical, like way more like how like there were six of us on that side. Right. And how are we going to how are we going to surround and take down this this white dragon? Right. And it's everybody kind of it worked out so cool. Everybody sort of like had their own way of getting through like the levels and like culminating on the top of that um, that mini and like that fight at, at the end was so cool. As an addendum to this, I'm just going to let Tony take control here because it was his lair with the white dragon. But we're using mini 
uh, very liberally because these dragon <laughs> minis were anything but mini, dude. They were the white and black were were primo. They were they really yes, were the yes. set piece around it. But I did not do it justice. Yes. Yeah, I happen to have the gargantuan red and or white and black dragons, uh, which really like how often do you get to bring one of these out? Like once a campaign, maybe. So this is really the perfect opportunity. And I kind of thought this backwards because guess what? I don't have the red dragon gargantuan. So I'm like, hmm. So I themed the world, that section of hell they were traveling through. This was a frozen wasteland with aspects of heat and all that stuff uh, for it. We had a blue poster board, which we wrapped in saran wrap. We got different pillars that are actually used for cakes. Uh, we made a platform. We, we Exactly right, Chris. Went to the Michaels. I got dollar store jewels, placed diamonds all around. I got crystal, placed it all around. We had fun with it. I took these glittery, uh, hard styrofoam cylinders that were in pieces, and I put a toothpick through them so they were all together, and they created levels because the dragon's nice, but he's not going to, like, you know, create, you know, a slope or a bridge for you to walk up and kill his ass. <laughs> no, he's not a handicap accessible there. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was what I, uh, Tony and I were, were actually going back and forth. And it was, it was really great because we both uh, decided to really play to the dragon that we were running's strengths. And I think that's something that we forget about. I'm actually looking in the future, probably going to put together something about the dragon encounter that I built because when you play to their strengths, that really changes. A lot of people don't realize the boss battle, why dragons are not as effective oftentimes the way they're played. But with Tony, he played to a dragon strength by making height. So this thing could just swoop fire down, do all kinds of stuff. And they had to fight up to it as opposed to like my one with the black dragon, where I played to his stealth, his slinkiness, the darkness that, that subterfuge that really changes the entire encounter as opposed to this giant bag of hit points that has a breath weapon. I noticed your little, uh, the cake toppers too, you had used them for one of our Ragnarok games as well. So you already had some of the stuff and you repurposed it into an entirely different set. No, it looks like real problems. I'll say it every time probably, because it was with Sariach and the Serral Morte before when I was doing the monster. Oh, yeah, during the, yeah, the vampire. The 3D, the multi-levels, and all this different terrain, it takes you out of that flat map, like you said, and that extra dimension gives you, actually, it forces you into tactical things, like Lenny was saying. All of a sudden, my dwarf can't get up that cliff without assistance, because I can only move 25 feet, and it's a (laughs) 30-foot cliff. So I'm just sitting down there firing arrows away, waiting for some opportunity to get up there. And then, like, Sariatch, the monster, was able to escape up onto uh, the top of the castle peak to be able to get away from some of the battle and the dragons in this one. Yeah. Able to use, like you're saying, use their advantage. Yeah. And it forces. It's like one of those pieces that you would normally shed off of some of the games and it becomes a gray spot oh i just moved 30 feet up and now i'm with them well no now it's forced you you can't do that you know there's no confusion no that's 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 a very good point matt and it it makes me think of something thorne used to say a lot of times where he would want to say get the players to think off of their sheets because everyone's so focused on what can i do mechanically but when you have something like that that's not that 2d map even if it's super involved 2d map still cool those environmental pieces, those terrain pieces, those that three-dimensionality, 
makes you think differently because you start going, well, what if I could do X, Y, Z? How can I use that that ledge or that tree? And also, how are those things affecting me, too, as a player? Sir Scar transported himself with his Pegasus up on top of the layer. (laughs) And then he's just literally we could tell only because of that, that we didn't even have a sight line to him. So we didn't even know what was going. We couldn't see anything. He just disappears over the top of the cliff. And, and, and we're probably an yeah, we're probably nineteenth level paladin, baby. Roar and 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 <laughs> swipe ahead, right? Like we don't know. Yeah, it's a couple perception checks, and you know you're in deep doo doo. Yeah, and a two D map, we probably wouldn't have even thought of that. It would have been like, oh well, I'm gonna go assist him now. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a good point. I don't think that layer works at all without without it sitting in front of you and being in 3D. There's, I, I wouldn't see how you could represent that on a, on a 2D map at all. Yeah. I mean, there there are ways, but yeah, it definitely changes because you see it in front of you. You can see the, the, the spaciousness. You don't have to think spatially in your head. It's just right there in front of you. In a similar way with the Black Dragon layer. So, unfortunately, none of you guys were over on that side because I was running a different team. I was watching. That. Yeah, but I played in a bit of a different way, right? And Chris, you were saying it's actually funny because the dollar store is a perfect time. So for the first part of the lair, I had him walk into this throne room, right? That was in essence just a big trap. But you can see on the socials, it looks like all this stonework that's down. And that's literally just this sticker that you can get at the dollar store that people would put up like real cheaply for a backsplash in their kitchen that looks like rocks. And Bonnie and I just took an old delivery box from the last Dragonlance game we had, right? It's from, it came from Guido's, right? Shout out to Guido's Steaks in Ben Salem, you know? But it was just a box. And we just repurposed that and made it like a throne room. And then Bonnie 3D printed out a couple really cool set pieces. But then when we dropped them down into the, in essence, the giant swamp is what it is because it's a black dragon. There was an acid pool they had to deal with. There was foam. I had shambling mounds that would affect them on the terrain. There was all these other pieces that they had to figure out, and they could only move half their distance through it. So they weren't having to move up, but they were having to move through as this thing swam through this lake of acid and could pop up at them at any given time. And it changes the what happens with dragons, especially where, okay, it comes out and maybe it hits you with a breath weapon. And you guys, ooh, that really hurt. And now we surround them and beat the living hell out of them in about Stun three minutes. And it actually got so bad, Tony, that uh, which I think we can uh, maybe jump it. Well, this will be later, but it actually turned into where our timing didn't sync up as well. So my team is still having to, to deal with this lair encounter for like another hour while the other team's done. You know, they grab some wings. They had a couple of drinks, whatever, you know, so it didn't sync up in that way. But but yeah, so one of the things, too, that we were talking about and why it worked out that we're doing Fandelver today, but also Lenny and Matt, you guys coming in, because, again, you guys are out of a lot of the group that we're playing with are a little newer to D&D or at least returning to. Right. Um, You haven't played at this level, but also. Because of the story of what was happening. So as I'll let Tony kind of take this after here, but 
This was a culmination of several storylines, not the least of which was yet another piece of the puzzle to the epic Curse of Strahd finale that I don't know if ever will be finished. But I said it was finished, but it wasn't actually finished. <laughs> like the stones or something. Yeah, like but we that. also, Tony had some things weaving in from Storm King's Thunder campaign, and we've talked about how we melded those worlds together in essence and started, that was this beginning of our idea of playing with a shared world among DMs. But you guys were in essence coming through, coming to this game, not only super high level, but not knowing anything of what this story was. So before we get into that, Tony, why don't you just kind of give some context as to like we kind of we we brain we uh brainwashed we brainstormed this We're trying. yeah this this idea that really let you do the thing I couldn't do in the entirety of the Curse of Shock campaign, which was leave one character specifically their story arc completely unfinished. Real fast before we pivot to that. Um... Something I advise for all these complicated sets that we did is you got your monster wrangler. You need a, somebody to sit see with those sets. Is it a set wrangler? We'll workshop that. But, like, it was really great, like, you know, because Bonnie helped him pick out pieces and they set it up and disassembled it together. And Jen did the same thing with me. And I don't know if you've ever done this when you're at a table and you're like, let me real fast try to, you know, replicate something I did on Friday and now it's Sunday. Pro tip, take a picture of the set. Have it on your phone and know what you're replicating because it can be a real pain in the ass. But anyway, the biggest challenge about the plot was, okay, yes, there's four, five, even different, possibly six different campaigns coming in here, depending upon where you were in phase one or phase two of Curse of Strahd. So how am I going to throw out an effective hook that's not super complicated? And that's mm. my biggest challenge as a DM because I, I throw out these plots because like I think I'm Tolkien in the back of my head that are like that level of com- complex. And I know there's one or two people at the table who are like, I'm just going to go with, go go along with this because there's no way I, I have the context to, to, uh, to put this together. So Beth's character in literally game one of Curse of Strahd, you yeah. discover there was a baby in the Durst Manor who was a ghost. It had been sacrificed to infernal powers and this became a real thing that just was not dropped throughout the, like however many episodes of curse of Strahd we had where we talked 26 sure. it's like, where's baby walter that was the kid's name and it turned out this kid had gone to hell and it was in the possession of arch fiends and i'm like we're getting baby walter here it is and baby walter was indeed not just anybody dave why don't you explain who is baby walter why do we care no, about this guy no And this is actually good, too, because it also shows we talk a lot about, uh, you know, it's like the I I don't want to sound like we know what we're talking about when we talk about improv. But this idea of yes and right this somebody says something and you say yes and this you don't negate what they said. You build off of it. And in really good D&D games, that's going to happen, not just between DM and player and, and player and DM, but also between DMs. So I brought. My concept of this that built over the entirety of Curse of Strahd, little by little, we've talked about this before, but for anyone playing Curse of Strahd, I took the lunch break hero's idea of the Dursts and sacrificing baby Walter and all of this. What I added to this was that the Morning Lord, who is now absent for Barovia, had taken mortal incarnation as St. Markovia of the Abbey of St. Markovia in Barovia. 
as St. Markovia to lead a revolution against Strahd. They are destroyed, they are killed, as everyone is who has gone to Strahd until your team shows up, right? That's the basis of all adventures, right? But because the Morning Lord had taken this mortal form, he then bound himself to the laws of that. The, like, in essence, ideas of unbreakable laws, even among the gods, so was subject to the same terms, which meant when he was killed as St. Markovia, his soul was trapped in the mists, just like everybody else's. When the Dursts then had baby Walter, the Morning Lord's soul invested itself in baby Walter. And when he was sacrificed to the dark power, well, not the dark powers, in essence, to uh, to Asmodeus, in my in my idea, his soul was then the property of the Lord of Hell which I thought was a really cool twist on it, which I saw at level 20, the team's going to have to go to hell in some fashion. But then what Tony said, he said, well, I'm making it Tiamat. And I went, yes, and. And I just went with that. It was a change, but it was a cool change because it added in other factors from other storylines, I thought. So is that a, a succinct enough while also long explanation of how <laughs> Baby Walter was? That- Right. But that's how you take an inside joke at the table and turn it into something really nice. (laughs) Well, your character Roderick from Storm King's Thunder on the back end of his storyline had this involvement through his bloodline with Tiamat, this rivalry that spanned generations, even in Elven. And I'm like, when you were kind of toying with that, I was like, what if I could weave these two together? And that's where my head went with it. There you go. Yeah, it was perfect. In that way. I would say Tony and then to Dave secondly. So how did you separate it? Like how first people who would be interested in co-DMing, it would have to obviously it should be something large, but how would you what do you share amongst each other so that you still retain some level of mystery to the story, right? You have to know something, but what how much of the reins do you give up to make this work the way that it worked so well? So that, that's an excellent question. I ran I put together eight encounters that we were going to do once everyone was brought together. I brought everyone together. Not everyone was familiar with everyone's character. We did introductions and then explained the objectives of the mission and split them off. So at that point, Dave had his own unique eight encounters to run, and I had mine. Dave had Car Blanche with the general they were going to face at the end, which had a key, which both the keys had to be used together to lead into Tiamat's lair. Absolutely. And this is uh, I cannot since this kind of works into it, I can get into how sometimes it's miscommunication and things get screwed up. I was going to go there. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's 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 fair because it's what happened. But you roll with it. So I was under the impression from our talks that and Chris, to your point, I wanted to keep a level of mystery because Roderick was playing in this adventure. So I didn't want to just know what the mod says at the end. And then, you know, I mean, I know we're fighting Tiamat, but like there's more things. You know, how do we get there? That kind of. So I I thought that I was just running the lair of my black dragon, Dragancelor, I named him. So that's what I really built on until the day of. And I'm asking Tony a question and he tells me about, oh, well, I'm running all of these eight encounters for my team. To lead to Dragansor, I went, oh, crap, I didn't really prepare that, so let me go. Now, Tony had prepared all of the eight encounters. I had 
DCs set. I had what this area was. I had some descriptive tech. I had a lot, but it was like I'm looking through it, you know, several hours before game, and I'm like, okay, I got to do this, which totally changed how I built my layer out because I was thinking a different time. But for that reason, Chris, because I didn't want to read too far into the adventure to spoil things for myself in that way, too. But it led to, unfortunately, some miscommunication that worked out in the end, I think. <laughs> and then I handled the encounter with Tiamat's lair uh, once we got. So I did it in three zones. Uh, my team came in into zone one. Dave's came, team came into zone two. I handled it from there. I had another encounter before Tiamat set, which I then scrapped because we're getting tight on time. I had a gargantuan blue dragon waiting for you. And I'm like, mm, nah, nah, we'll be here to like midnight. So let's just let's just bring out the big guns. So backing up a, real, a little so we could talk story wise. So for Matt and Lenny, because like we said, you guys were coming in for the most part, completely unaware of what this story was, right? And this idea of why is this adventure happening and what's some of the background. So with the introduction that Tony gave in the beginning of the adventure and you guys playing through it, what was your experience with that? Did you, like, one, did you understand what the adventure was? Did you understand mission parameters? Did it make sense in the overarching what was happening in a bigger way, too? You know, like, kind of... What was your experience with that coming in pretty fresh for Fongal coming in? It was, I kind of treated it a bit like he was in essence going to be muscle for this team. There was a bit of that. Like you are transported to this spot. Yeah. You're given this mission. And do you accept the mission? Right, yeah, well, of right. course I accept the mission. <laughs> Good way to play D and D. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm here to play this game. So I, uh, you know, and Fongal, you know, as a character, likes to fight. So he's like, well, yeah, let's go and get it. I did have a little bit of reference just from being able to be around some yeah. of those games. So I kind of had a sense of, like, there was this baby Walter in the Strahd. And Tiamat, just from knowing the worlds a bit, I know, you know, about the dragons and such. And so it was one of those, like, I didn't know the storyline, but okay, that's the storyline. That's what we're going with. I'm here to help. Let's do it. And it didn't affect your enjoyment of the game in any way. It, it, it was an adventure. You had a you had mission parameters. You had a, a, an objective. I think that's a big thing because Tony really set a very specific objective. Get the key, right? Yeah. You know, and how you yeah. get there is the adventure. But like you, you knew this is what we had to like. It was very, very pinpoint. Yeah. It being a one-off game. Yeah. You know, a summer blockbuster. Uh, we're all kind of coming together like this, this uh, hodgepodge of yeah, characters, characters yeah. from around. Um, you know that you're not necessarily completely invested in this entire campaign that's been running because it's not an entire campaign. It's a summer blockbuster that was put together. So I came in realizing that I wasn't going to have a huge investment or idea of the story. Fair. And. We're here to play D and D. I want to kick some ass. Yeah. <laughs> a kicker of asses. Yeah. So you know, get together. It was awesome to see all the different characters, hear the story come out. You get an idea. Tony really, really laid it out, like you said. Yeah. With specific parameters, and so we knew exactly what was going on from the start at that point. Yeah. And it was just let's go. 
Perfect. Yeah, it's great. Lenny, how about you coming in? Yeah, I would say kudos to how it was was rep, uh, like presented because I, I mean just the, the way it kicked off, where all these characters were were pulled into this 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 planar rift, or you know, um, I think it was really cool. And for for Thrawn, you know, Eagle Rider, he's he's a quiet guy, but he's very mission driven. So that that kind of became his character over the course of play. So it was definitely it definitely fit into who he was. But yeah, I mean, kudos for how Tony presented it, because I until now, you guys telling me I wouldn't have had any idea this had any any kind of, you know, uh, hook from a from a previous adventure or from a previous campaign. It was right. just I mean, for me, I just saw it as a one off, you know, we're going to go we're going to go save this and we're going to go fight some, you know. Played some yeah, creatures and high level adventure right yeah yeah and it was cool how it led up to the i mean we, we talked about the white dragon lord but the the lead up to that where we had to get through and figure out how to travel through this uh th- through this realm and solve a couple puzzles along the way it was just a really good lead up to like that first really big battle and then it was just chaos after that it was just battle after battle I mean, I thought that was a super impressive uh, lineup of dragons and everything we were going through there and stuff like that. But I think, like, I, but I mean, he had his own story. Viangal, you had to sort of like m- manufacture that story from seven to 18 or anything like that when you're bringing him in there. <laughs> yeah. But do, so when you bring him in, does it, you know, thing for sure. Do, do you feel any differently about him than you feel about like Adrian or somebody like that when you're playing somebody like that in the one shot there? 19th level is cool, right? So it's just a whole lot of crazy explosions. But as far as like that, it's not necessarily your story you're there, but for your own thing, when you're having to kind of fill that in. Mm. Uh, that's a, that is a really good question. Um, and the, the jump was weird in my mind it would have been nice to be able to run him through those levels gradually and really build the character out and to add to that point just the fact that he already had somewhat of a backstory being from the Lachlan clan becoming clan chief Dave you enabled that story in 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 the Pathfinder to build up enough yeah uh I had Hugin which is my falcon that I can call on being clan chief which tony immediately did did away with he was like we're we're just going to take care of your falcon now there'll be no flying in my adventure sorry guys (laughs) oh did you get killed by the star explosion almost instantly yeah Yeah. i let him go he said how fly how high did you fly and then lightning hit him and he exploded (laughs) yeah that was it and he was gone so Realize he's not like necessarily gone, gone. No, he's probably he's, somewhere he's extra planar. Yeah. He went back to his realm. So made an example. Of him. It would have been nice to build him through, but he did already have a backstory. So I've been able to hone a little bit of his who he is and have fun with that. Even still, you know, even though he's now at 20th level with a magical dwarven thrower and like, I'm not sure how he exactly got all this stuff, but oh, that's, yeah, that's um, adventure. Yeah. He, yeah. He was misted, you know, he went off into the mists and he did a lot while he was there <laughs> and then came out. at It's actually level. funny. So that's actually funny. That's a funny thing about how things come about too, because back in the Pathfinder campaign, 
one of my ideas when you guys got to a certain level, I was I was going to actually bring you into Barovia. I was going to bring you into the Ravenloft world. And you had to, you missed a session in the game. So we played and I just kind of gave you this is kind of what happened. This is how you were you were transported away. And now you arrived back and I did it through the mists. And I gave him this whole little it was just like the beginning of my idea of narrative side play because you weren't really involved with it. It was back in my DM soliloquy days, right, where I just gave you what happened. But you had come into Barovia and the village of Barovia and you saw the castle and then you were brought back to to the Pathfinder campaign. And uh, so that's very funny that you then, you know, at 19th level, you then are involved in a story with characters that had, you know, are the heroes of the mist and all of this kind of stuff. So just kind of a funny coincidence almost. So as a a side note, I'd like to take credit for starting the trend of killing off Matt's characters, various birds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Donovan. Yeah, it's starting to become a thing. That's true. Horrifically. Yeah. But again, he is magical. So it's just a familiar. That's just that's just an hour's time. Ziggy is just uh, a little anxious about bringing him back. So we kind of went over some of the training, some of the story coming into a large thing like this. But how about. With with Matt, we've talked about how Tony managed some of it with co-DMing, splitting the party up into different teams that then came together at the end. What's the real janky parts of it, though? You know, like what did we learn the most in terms of what to look for with something like this to not do that again? You know, I kind of said one of mine where like, you know, know what you're going to be running, you know, before the day of, let's say, you know, my bad. But, you know, so just kind of go around to Chris, if you guys kind of go and then Matt and Lenny, you guys can fill in like the, some of the janky parts or that this didn't make a whole lot of sense. thing. I mean, I think that the only thing that was the jankiness was that I think if you're setting up the encounters, it's difficult to time. You split people up. Right. And it's D&D. So all it takes is a little bit of role play or this or certain things. And all of a sudden it can slow down. So it's. That would be one part, and I don't even know if there's a way you can fix it, but you have to account for the fact that they may not finish on time. And it's not necessarily a fault of anybody, but it's just in the natural way of things, you're going to probably have a gap there if you're running two separate teams and you're coming back towards a shared goal. So that would be the one thing that I thought was, uh, you know, I think it's just natural with something like this. Something I could have done differently looking back upon this now is I could have gone to the individual characters. Now, I threw out in the intro how Tiamat then, once she absorbed the soul of uh, the Morning Lord, she would have the ability to lay war upon any number of these worlds, and your worlds were included. She started opening up portals, sending devils and dragons through. There was a threat. I should have individually gone to Thrawn and said, hey, the further is in jeopardy. I could have gone to Clan uh, Chief Lachlan and be like, hey, your dwarven, your brethren are in danger. The Dragon Queen has plans. And I could have tied you more. I mean, yes. I mean, you know, uh, Chief Lachlan was a pre-gen and Thrawn was from a completely different universe, but I could have t- made the, given you more of a dog in the race, so to speak. I like that idea. Like thrown a bone out just for basic storyline and to invest you. And you kind of can start your your mind just starts uh, going on that once someone kind of introduces that idea. So then you come into the game going, oh, like, 
my homeland is in is in jeopardy. So my my character is is it's an know, easier is adventure. In yeah, it's a better adventure hook than you know just being transported. But again, when you're playing with some experienced players like you guys now and stuff, you're just I'm here to play D and D, so I will work with you to as long as you give me something here. And this, as Lenny had said, well, this is a huge, this is a one-off, high-level adventure. We're supposed to save something because we are literally the heroes of the multiverse, right? So that that that's an easier hook. But yeah, you could easily hook people in even even deeper with that. One of the uh, one of the pieces for me, like the timing, yeah, it didn't sync up, but I could see where that's. It's really tough because you're literally running two separate campaigns yes, at the yes. same time without really a hook between you. And then you're going to meet up in the middle. So you're naturally going to vary your two different styles of DMing. You have two different sets of players all in that. So I'm like, I, there's probably things you can do with that. But that that, that wasn't too rough in, in, in my thing. I kind of enjoyed having a, you know, a break and get a little bite to eat and then come back to the table. Yeah, um, yeah. The high level role, and this is my inexperience at high levels like this, um, with this many players, I almost mentioned I was like static damage. Like we almost need to start running static damage <laughs> as players because just the damage rolls in and of themselves going around one round of play just for it was six and six. Am I correct? Five, five and five. But yeah. Yeah, five and five, but pretty large, so, large tables. Yeah, but more players were coming. Five, you know, at that level was like time consuming. So you're just kind of you're running the game out, you're running the clock out, and then once we got into the unison battle, it was then twelve because you guys, you had Roderick yes, and you had and Hawk, Hawk. exactly, <laughs> brother, and uh, that's just, I mean, you've got you're practically twentieth level. So it's damage. You're just like waiting. It's like the calculator. We're always talking about like the account image. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Oh. I'd say for me, my jankiest bit was on myself. I had come back to a character that I ha- hadn't played in months. And I kind of just rolled in figuring like I knew this guy. And, you know, it. yeah, you, you, you know your player. You know what you can do. But um we, we got through introductions and I'm like, oh, crap, like I don't remember what armor I was wearing or <laughs> or like. So I'm I'm like stumbling through the introduction and I, I should, you know, it's I'm still a noob. So I guess I'm, I'm allowed to make these mistakes a little bit. But I was coming into a table with really experienced players and I didn't take the time to like prepare myself. I felt like uh, kind of an idiot at the beginning there. I absolutely used behind the scenes static damage for Hawk. When I was playing him, I had his standard attack when he rolled a 19 and his 20. It was all in three blocks on my sheet. I'm like, he's doing this, 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 and this. We don't have time for this. Nice. Don't worry about the DM and PC. What are you guys doing? Yeah, well, that was what was nice with that is that because at that point, so I had talked to Tony prior to because I, we knew some of the jankiness that we were going to be running into. So we attempted to to staunch that flow as best we could. So I said to him, look we're going to be six and six. Why don't we just have Hawk and Roderick have to go off and do another part of the mission? So this team A has to get the key. Team B has to get another key. Hawk and Roderick are going 
to do this other thing. That way we don't also have to run them during the first part with the layers. But then I knew when we came back to it that Tony's going to have to run Hawk while running 12 players. And I just get to run Roderick at that point. I'm off the clock, right? So that's tough. So I, I'm glad to hear that that's how you kind of, that's a great idea, Tony, is that sometimes if you're running a big high-level NPC or DMPC, break them out in the same way. Have certain attacks that they can do no and then all you need to do is roll your 20 if you need to or whatever it might be. And that could definitely speed it up. Roderick at that point, I'm off the clock, right? So that's tough. So I, I'm glad to hear that that's how you kind of, that's a great idea, Tony, is that sometimes if you're running a big high-level NPC or DMPC, break them out in the same way. Have certain attacks that they can do no, and then all you need to do is roll your 20 if you need to or whatever it might be. And that could definitely speed it up. So let's just go over a little bit of some of the issues, some of the good and bad of the final battle, too. So when we culminate from a team of five and a team of five, different missions, layers, boom, boom, boom. And now we go through, like Tony said, two different zones of Tiamat's lair leading to Tiamat herself. What were some of the uh, some of the positives, some of the negatives of this? Well, really, I only wanted to have that scene where I had everybody on screen together very minimally. So I had also considered throwing out a blue dragon either before and or after or like during that encounter, so to speak. And nah, like I, f- I felt like that was sufficient. Uh, it would have added too much of a slowdown. Like obviously I could have thrown in minions, a bash eye devils, any number of other obstacles, but the initiative order was already the, the largest I've ever run, period. I've never had 12 PCs on an initiative order plus even one boss. And while I'm doing that, T-Mat's reactions are preposterous. The amount <laughs> of things that she has to do, and I got to tell you, I know Dave wants to talk about this, but at points, I felt really bad for you guys. That's all I got to say. I mean, it's T-Mat is probably the only one you could even do something like this with because of the ridiculousness around her as a final battle and not bring in other things. And the fact that she has all the legendary actions, she can breathe on both sides. She's just strafing people for like, what was it, like 91 damage whatever. Seems fair, and that's that, I can But I tell you, that's one of the things. You bring everybody together, and even somebody like Tiamat, there's just only so much action economy that even a dragon with freaking, what does he have, nine heads, whatever, can, can actually take their that with 11, 12 players, it starts to become that we're just going to find ways to heal and find ways to tactically keep moving and keep applying the damage. But uh, that was one of the few times I saw Dave rant about <laughs> the thing was about the uh, her magical resist. It's not even magical resistance. It's just like magical, like what about is kind of thing. It's, it's just, just like bullshitium, bull- yeah. Yeah, unobtainium kind of stuff there. So yeah, no, I'll shoot that off to Dave there and talk a little bit. <laughs> well, I, I I do I I think it's an important thing because again a lot of times like everyone has thoughts about things you know you go on socials and you see everyone has thoughts and opinions on everything and then there's when you actually sit down and like when the rubber hits the road and you see how things actually play out both on both sides of the screen so I'm gonna preface it first by saying Tony was running 12 players at a table in an epic boss fight so like. Forget about any issues there. This is not a a rant against Tony's DMing or anything like this, because if anything, that 
some of the uh, the unobtainium. I love that. <laughs> it's better. Uh, some of the you know the plot armor of big bosses, legendary bosses is that's the only thing that keeps them in a fight. Because I think we might have gone five, six rounds tops, and that was like you know two hours of play at least. It had to have been, and maybe even more. Right? I mean, it's just we went through one round. I was like, wait, what round are we in yet? You know. So, like, and Tony ran it, like, and he had to deal with all of that. So, like, right off the bat, kudos. My issue was with how, when you're building out a legendary boss, thinking about what that's going to do to whole sections of your table. What I mean by that is, what I realized, so Roderick is, he was a ninth level spellcaster. So I had... I, I had all the way up and I had wish and, you know, I'm powerful. Right. And this magic resistance, this this immunity that I think you also see on things like Tarasks, too, is that any spell of sixth level or lower, I believe it was. Yes, Tony. I think that's right. From this version of Tina, any level of sixth level or lower immediately fails. No, nothing. No, fair. no, no thing. <laughs> the issue you have with that is when you're a ninth level spellcaster, especially someone like a bard who also I have additional wizard spells and druid spells. I have a lot of stuff at my disposal. I have my loot of secrets. I have a lot of things. And I now have, I think, two seventh level spells, an eighth level spell and a ninth level spell. That's all I have. Because what am I going to fire a crossbow at Tiamat? Like, I can't. So what you do is you, in essence, take a spellcaster and Bonnie's character, little one, the gnome artificer. The issue there is similar to Paladin's. Paladin can use their smite against Tiamat, run in there and just, bam, hammer in and just take her out, whittle her down until she's done. But you only go up to, like, fifth level. So do artificers. So literally the entirety of Little One's spell components are out. There's nothing that she can do. Her Wand of Wonder is cast at regular level. There's no spell on there that goes above sixth level. So what does that character now do? You know, so you can be a utility character. So I did. I hasted Sir Scar, which is awesome because you want to see some crazy ass damage haste a paladin at 19th level when he's unloading like fifth level divine fights right and and then crits on that and then also oh and i also have my third or fourth attack from the haste too right like that's phenomenal but in essence what you do is you have shut out because of the way tiamat was built and then any additional spells let's say i want to upcast fireball i want to upcast Ice nut. I want to upcast something. Fine. I want to blow a ninth level. Well, she's also immune to literally every elemental piece of damage. And guess what? 80 to 90 percent of spells are in D&D, unless you're a warlock. They are elemental spells. Fire, ice, poison. Yeah. So unless you got psychic, unless you have force, you're just out of the fight. And that was kind of my that was my thing. It wasn't on Tony. It was more on not thinking out. What's happening? Because you literally could have six wizards come in, 12 wizards come in, and not be able to beat Tiamat. So there Pretty you go. I, 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 I think I spoke enough on it. <laughs> what do you guys think? <laughs> I think? I would say, like, Lenny, uh, what do you think about it now? Like, often high-level play ends up being a lot of this. There's the campaign that goes for and gets you up near the top. But then once you reach that, it's one-shots and stuff like that. How does that feel 
versus the long campaign slog? Is it still the same amount of fun to do something where you're, I mean, obviously you're 19th level, so you get all the bells and whistles with it, but your character now has kind of run his arc and is now sort of participating in these sort of continuing adventure sort of things. I mean, I kind of enjoyed it because now this character doesn't just get put on a shelf and never used again, right? I got to... Mm -hmm. You know, like Thrawn was my first character, so he's got like a little bit, you know, there's there's a little bit of touchy touchiness with, with them, right? Like you're kind of attached to your your first one you create. Um, so it was nice to actually like bring him out and and actually get to get to play with him again. You know, it's it, it was super cool. And I'm I think that would kind of be his his lot in life now. Right. He's he's sitting around. He's saved his little corner of his world right and he's just there in case things like this happen right and he gets to live out his life and occasionally come out of retirement right hey like bang a homer in the knife and then freaking like go back <laughs> home right yeah consider yeah um, you're really just t- t- bottom of the ninth you're like i'm called call out thrawn you're okay uh, if, if you guys don't mind me asking t- tony when you're like 12 like you you had said earlier you've never run a uh, a game for this many players before when you were putting that final encounter together are you still looking at like an encounter builder or are you just at a certain point are you just like i'm i could either kill everybody or this could be over in two minutes or this might actually work like i actually was sweating fighting Tiamat for years i looked at this right up and said okay so this individual, as Dave said, immune to every element you could think of that exists in the D&D universe, every stat- status condition, she's one of those few elite special one percenter monsters that's immune to stun. She gives the middle finger to the monk. She's like, no chance. In addition to her preposterous, as they put in her rate of limited spell immunity, which gives her six and down, complete wash, your shit fails, sorry, automatic counterspell. Uh, immunity. She has advantage on all those magical saving throws and has five legendary resistances. She yeah. has to be taken out with sheer martial power. And I kind of counted all those things. I upped her hit points. I upped her regeneration massively because she was getting swarmed to fit the encounter. Uh, I wanted it to be tense. But, you know, it'd be a pretty big drag for Chris's 50th birthday. I'm like, hey, this character been for three years. He's dead and in hell. I'm really sorry, bro. <laughs> Interesting story turn. There. I don't know. We can oh, work. And then Team Prop- Man eights or Scar Soul. Ugh, sorry. <laughs> Props for figuring it out, man. No, we've talked. We've yeah, talked it, a lot, Lenny, about how when you know, even when you have add a fifth person on the table, because like CR and Encounter Builders, they're all based off of the idea of these four party, this four person party. And the minute you add a fifth, much less a sixth. That stuff goes out the window. We've talked how we've, you have to double the CR at times. You got to do, you got to have a multiple of monsters, whatever. If you're talking about 19th level times 12 players, and they're all kind of juiced with some like, there's some homebrew magic items in there. There's all kinds of stuff. Like, forget about thinking about, you know, well, CR 30. That's, you know, they're only 19. No way, man. Like. It's you can't even you just got to kind of go with it and just hope for the best. Like I say, with the the fight with Vampyr on Mount Gaucus, that team ran through 2000 hit points of villainy with no rests, with no just from their own sheer 
power. They just crushed it. It doesn't mean it wasn't tense fights, but that's the kind of level of power we're talking about. And they weren't even 19th level at that point. So, yeah, forget about encounter builders at that point. You're just you're just going. You know. Props for figuring it out, man, because there were some there were some heavy hitters at that table. Like I thought Thrawn could throw down some hit po- some some damage, but freaking Chris with Scar, man, that was like that. Some of those roles were like epic, man. Yeah, yeah, the Paladin dude, and then when he when he crits and you're doubling all of those smites, you know, and it's a fifth level, and you're like, oh my god, it's just uh, I, I, at one point you you one hit you fired out I think 150 points of damage. Probably, yeah. I mean, yeah, and if you're a paladin, save your uh, save your big spell slots for crits because it just turns into things. But it also leads a little bit to Lenny's point earlier, which I sort of experienced uh, that the last one in Vampire and everything is the sheer amount of math involved with <laughs> right. You static damage stuff like like I thought it was good for Tiamat. Like she turns it aside and it's 91 or you half it right that kind of thing. But then you're like, okay, all right, so now I'm like. I'm going to freaking crit. Oh, oh, fifth level spell slot, right? And then I got to count out like 12 D8, right? I have somebody there working with me, right? Somebody else at the table who's helping me count it up here. It takes time, like, and it's uh, it it's fun, but it's a bit of a drag to have to do that much math on those kind of things. We but, said... Uh, we said it in last episode where, like, literally have somebody with roll 20 open. Bonnie actually had roll 20 open, so she would actually start to roll for some people. Like, what do you need? You need 10d10, boom, right? Because, like, forget about it, man. Like, you're talking such enormous amounts of damage, but all right. Well, I think it's probably getting about that time now, guys, for final thoughts. So the epic summer blockbuster, 12 players, two DMs, six dragons, and Tiamat, what are your final thoughts? It was just great to be a part of, man. And getting to fight, like, you know, actually get to fight some dragons, right? Like, um, you know, I haven't gotten to play in too many games thus far, but it just didn't work out. And we fought, like, six of them. Like, so it was, <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, it was, I, I mean, for my first, like, live table game, like, it's this one's going to be hard to beat for a long time. Yeah, I would say, uh, just again, repeating, uh, it's such a blessing and like an opportunity to be able to play at such high level with high level experienced characters. And to name it, the three wise DMs, literally all at the table, plus other characters that are highly experienced going back to like original D&D. So great to bring a character like that up to high level. And then to your point of the magical resistance, I, of course, with the Dwarven fighter at 19th level, didn't seem to have a problem. I just tossed my Dwarven thrower at her, you know, every time. Um, So that was, uh, (laughs) like you said, martial power is what you needed. And I I didn't have a problem there. But the Tiamat, just one uh, villain with all those characters, had to be challenging and so unsure you just don't know how that's going to go down absolutely so yeah thank you for having me on and thank you for that game tony and all games to come i mean i would say final thoughts i'd say a little bit that i lean it on lenny's point earlier it's if you don't if you haven't played out if you're a covid era player get out and play live get into it it's a different experience it's still D. it's always D, no matter what you do but there's a different energy at the table 
get into some sets, go find sets. There's easy way to build simple scenery, just stuff that players can interact with a little bit and have some three dimensionality to it. And then finally, like one shots like this, obviously I'll let Tony talk about all the cool mechanics he did with it, but these are cool opportunities. You, you don't have to put them on the shelf. I'm just, I'm pulling raw field, <laughs> but I think that was a great idea is that eventually you reach the end and you're like, okay, here he goes. He goes into the bookshelf here. And then this is, you know, Sir Scar is in there and, it doesn't have to be that way. There's always opportunities to get people together. Birthday parties are a great thing, but there's other times that you could do that and you get to have these really cool things. They're going to be like race cars because you're at 19th level or 20th level. So it's going to be a bit of uncertainties and, and six dragons and Tiamat, but get out there and it's a great opportunity to players again. So with uh, throwing this kind of a game out there, one thing to help with the immersion, I put together a hell based playlist with all forms of music that I hope uh, everybody appreciated. One of them was the, the song when they reached hell at first was a night on the bald mountain. If you just listen to the first like 10 seconds of this, you're like, wow, does anything say hell more than that? I don't know. It was actually an earthworm gym like 25 years years ago they uh stole it and i uh, got a clean cut for it during the actual travel i wanted to have meaningful role play challenges not just skill challenges i did some cascading skill challenges where different teams had to work together within the group like the first group had to make a skill check and then if they failed the next group had a harder skill check but they were using different sets of skills so everybody could be useful but there was no i in team in this situation in the, the role play skill challenges, I threw things out like I put a guardian in front of you that you could have probably beaten in combat, but you'd have lost time, gotten chewed up, used a lot of valuable resources. The correct solution was to find a way to bypass the guardian using something else other than brute force. Perhaps it was bribery. Perhaps the guardian asked for something. I put fountains in both of the, the portions of the adventure for both teams to come across. They, one would heal you, but it exacted a, a price from you. It, it cha- did character changes, all kinds of stuff like that. So if you made a choice, it had meaning, and there was big rewards, big detriment, not crippling your character, but it changed the direction of your character. Uh, Jen's character took the undead trait uh, because she reached into the fountain. Hey, your character's level 20, and she's a vampire. Just going to throw that out there. I hope you like that because... And she asks, how long is this going to last? And Luke starts laughing. He's like, probably like forever. And that's pretty much <laughs> it. Correct. Finally, I had no stall tactics or rather conditions in the game. So there was no riddles. So if you guys couldn't figure something out or have a good solution, you get through it. You take some damage. It would get harder. But it wasn't like, oh, shit, we're here. What do we do? And everyone's like looking at each other, especially when Dave's running this game. I couldn't have that. So. Which is I love riddles, not in this particular game. No, we just got to print set the Saren scenario. What do you, how do you want to handle it and move forward? And lastly, uh, with character levels and retiring everybody, it's not about your level. It's really about when do you want to stop playing this character. People are like, I know so many people have written it and be like, well, when you have a level 18 character, they're like a god. And maybe you're not wrong. But that doesn't mean you have to bench this character that you know you've invested all this time in and you want them to continue their adventures yeah tony i'm gonna uh just continue off that point first because it makes me think of it 
it's like when people talk Chris Evans in interviews, uh, you know, would, would you ever return as Captain America? You know, and he talks about like, well, it's, like, it's a very dear story to him and to a lot of people around the world. So it would have to be the right story. But he doesn't close the door to that. And in the same way with high level characters, like you never have to close the door. As we showed, Tony was thankfully he uh, finished out the, the final character story from uh, the Curse of Strahd campaign. So I could finally feel like there was completion there. And then I was joking with you, Tony, the other day at the party that Roderick's story is still not done. I'm 20th, no, level, I'm 20th level and I'm still unsure as to the mystery that started at even prior to level one when I'm when I was crafting Roderick and the idea of his his curse, his wasting illness. There's still not a full answer because all Tony left me at that game was another cryptic riddle from this time Asmodeus. Right. So like we all said, this there is no end to these characters. The the stakes just change. That's all. The stakes just came. We're in a much more cosmic level. Um, a couple things. Uh, I can't say enough about terrain. This was awesome to have this many builds, but also from this many people because we all approached it in different ways. Bonnie and I both had a ton of fun doing it. It was actually easier than we thought, and we even learned a couple things. We had a couple happy accidents that turned into awesome pieces of it. Um, and it doesn't have to cost cost you very much. I think we got a piece of foam board that's like as big as a wall for like 30 bucks. And I think we <laughs> used about six inches of it to create an entire layer. So like we have nothing but giant foam board in the garage now. So not too bad. The co-DMing, I'm super into it. I've wanted to do something like this. This was a whole nother level of it. Uh, not just shared worlds and co-DM, but co-DMing at the same table I said where I where I thought I could do better with it. Uh, so have really good communication between the DMs uh, as opposed to what I did with Tony. It still worked out in the end. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. This was just so it was aptly named the summer blockbuster because it was huge and big and loud and it was a whole hell of a lot of fun. Uh, definitely check out our socials. We have a ton of pictures up of a lot of the terrain sets a lot of the minis that uh, Scott has crafted over time and other people have crafted that I, I made the post the other day about Chris's some of his favorite subclasses were in there as minis. So that's fun. You know, this has been great, guys. Please. Uh, obviously, this was not a question from a listener, but please, guys, send them in. Uh, we love answering questions with DMs with problems because that's what we are. That's obviously what we hear from our guests as well. We all think about the same things and have trouble with the same things. So uh, be sure to check us out at threewisedms.com. You can reach us at threewisedms at gmail.com. Uh, you can also check us out, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're active on all those socials. And when you're doing this, because, Chris, you had to roll out like 12D8, I think, plus crits. So when you're rolling that many dice, guys, you need to go to our affiliate link at fanrolldice.com slash ref slash 2871 uh you get 10% off your whole order that's super great and there's no strings so please uh feel free they make some great products that's going to be it for us this week uh lenny matt thanks again for coming on uh it's probably not the last time and as we do each week we will let our dear old erstwhile leader take us out
And to all of you listening at home, thank you very much for listening to another extra long episode, an extra special episode of Three Wise DMs. Now, this didn't come from a listener question, but you may have questions that come out of this. If you do, please feel free to send them in to us. You can send them in to threewisedms at gmail.com. You can go to our website and put them in the What's Your Problem field, or you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're active in all those places. And really, the point of this podcast is to help you, to help other DMs with their problems. So if there's anything we can help you solve or help you talk through, we would love to, we'd love to hear what you'd like to hear us talk about. Yeah. If you like what you're listening to, please hit the five-star rating button in your podcast platform. That really helps us get, you know, get, get more exposure, helps more people find us. And we just appreciate that support. And yeah, if you want to share it or, or, or recommend us to friends, we would love that. Too. That's it for this week. We'll talk to you next time on three wise DMs.